Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to SFP Now. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of SFP Now. Um, a bit later on, uh, Raisa and I will be going over some of the some of the recent TV things that have been happening. So we'll be talking about the new MacGyver series. Um, but before that, we have a, a fantastic interview lined up um, for you with um, actor Adrian Huff, who's um, been doing quite a lot recently, using quite a few new science fiction TV series that are coming on the air. Um, including he's got a guest role as a uh, as a woodsman in a once in the new series Once Upon a Time, but he's also recently done a film that's dropping soon called Reassignment, in which he plays Sigourney Weaver's uh, brother um, in in the film. So we have that to look forward to. So without further ado, we're just going to go straight into the interview with uh, Adrian Huff. I'd like to welcome uh, actor Adrian Huff to the show. Um, how are you doing, Adrian? I'm doing just great, thank you. Um, well, we've got we've got quite a few questions um, to, to, to ask you about about stuff, and um, you know, you notice you've done quite a few. You know, you've been doing quite a few high-profile projects of late. You know, with your with your acting and stuff. Um, yeah. I guess the first question I have for you is: um, How did you actually get into acting? Because from what I've been reading, um, you, you was discovered at a, at a rather young age. Well, uh, I don't know if it's so much discovered as that I discovered acting, and and you know, acting discovered me at the same time. I guess that just the um, I was a really shy, awkward kid when I was very young, but um, yeah, I think I was around eleven or twelve when I got into these Saturday morning classes and and. We had a choice of things to take, you know, including archaeology and anthropology. And there was one course which is creative drama and mime, and that was the one which uh, struck my fancy. And uh, and uh, I just the, one of the cor- one of the parts of the course was learning how to do mime. Now mime gets a really bad rap, but when I was eleven or twelve, it was the uh, it, it was just like magic to me because it was creating illusions and creating stories and expressing, and I didn't have to speak for anyone for a little while. <laughs> Um, but it wasn't really until I was, uh, you know, just about 1920 when I decided that I wanted to, uh, go and be a classical actor in, in, in England. So that's what I did for my twenties. I went and I trained in the UK and, and, you know, worked all over the UK touring and, um, I once played Peter Capaldi's brother and years ago in, in the 80s in a, in a series called uh, Shadow of the Noose. And of course, Peter Capaldi has now become the, the new doctor. 
Mm-hmm. So I mean, yeah, I mean, that's I, I discovered I, I discovered that I loved acting young, and then it just became the only thing that I ever wanted to do, much to my parents' chagrin. So, so where did you train? Um, train at um, the old Vic or some, somewhere like that? Or? I, I play. I trained at a place called the Drama Studio, which is in West London, and uh, yeah, a few people have gone there. Um, you know, it's 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 a it's a, a one year course. They just they try and and give you everything you need in one year, which of course is not you know you need more than that when you're you know acting takes a long time. I think Stanislavski said it takes twenty years to make an actor. Some of us it took longer. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess what Stanislavski is getting at there is the uh, it's a life experience of the person to to, to have all the, the hurt and the pain to access when you when you when you're creating a role. Well, that, that's a, that's an interesting, deep question. Um, I think everybody has all kinds of uh, emotions and pain and, and joy of all kinds. But I think this the skills of being an actor, um, you know, developing your voice, developing your ability to express things, um, combined with, you know, with personalizing it, uh, using your own life experience or your own emotions, is really, I guess, really what it's all about. I have these um, discussions with other actor friends of mine, and we talk about actors like uh, Daniel Day Lewis. And some people argue that he's a method actor. You know that he's, you know, really, you know, he just. And I, and I would, I would argue that he's actually a, a very technical actor, but he also has the gift of being able to pour himself into the mask that he creates when he does a job. And I, and I, I like to think of myself um, as more of a mask actor so that when you see me up there being a, a, a creepy evil person or uh, yeah, then you're, what you're seeing is, is me pouring myself into a mask, which I've created or visualized or, um, you know, I, 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 you know, I don't want to talk too much about it because when now I, I, having done it so long, I just kind of do my work. I don't, you know, I, I don't, glorify it to myself it's just a it's just a craft it's a job um so before we get to some of your more recent roles um sure. i'd like to ask about some some of the other work that, that, that you've done acting wise and one, mm-hmm. one project that kind of stuck out for me is that you had a role in assassin's creed role now i've recently so i got into these games um i got the latest one which is set you know in london uh, yes so i'm kind of interested to to know what role you played in the series, and, and was that one like your, your first experience with doing, doing a computer game? It was my first experience. I, I, they actually um, Ubisoft when they were uh, casting for. I played uh, Hatham Kenway, who's the character you have to play at the beginning of the game, and he's Connor's father in Assassin's Creed Three, mm-hmm. and he's a, a, a British um, a colonial who comes over to Boston. That's kind of his backstory. Now, because I'd lived and worked in the UK, I I, I, I did a, a fairly good English accent, but they auditioned us. Uh, under the ruse that it was a, a miniseries shooting in Montreal. And so, I, you know, I, I, I did my first audition, which was like a four-page little couple of scenes. And, uh, and then I got a callback for it. And at the callback, the night before, they handed me another seven pages. And the seven, seven pages was these, you know, big, long character monologues. And I, I basically had overnight to learn it. And um, so I, was, I went in there and I auditioned as if I was auditioning for a, a movie, like, you know, a, a, feature, a, a movie or a miniseries, a television miniseries. 
And, uh, you know, I, I thought, okay, if they're, you know, if they're really going to cast me in this thing, then I'm really going, you know, or really, if I really have a chance to get this thing, I'm really going to, because it's a great part, I'm going to learn the heck out of this thing and, and give them all I've got. So I went in there the next day and, and the audition went very well. And they were kind of said, we, we really want to cast you. And I said, oh, great. Okay. And, uh, do you know what this is? And I said, a mini series shooting in Montreal. And they said, come over here. And they had it. And I didn't have my, my glasses on at the time. And there's like, I signed like six pages of non-disclosure. I'm sure I gave away my left kidney and my firstborn. <laughs> and then they very excitedly said to me, it's Assassin's Creed three. And my, my, I, I, I wasn't a gamer. Um, and so I just kind of said, okay, it's a video game. Oh, good. Nice. Um, and so I, my reaction was really kind of nonplussed at getting this role, having, you know, but it turned out that it was a huge deal. And so for a year and a half, I worked on this thing and they'd once a month, they'd fly me to Montreal for a week or so. And we'd, we'd record a whole bunch of scenes and, and voice stuff as well as motion capture. Cause it, it was just like shooting a movie only we were covered in those dots and we had helmets with cameras on our face faces. And, uh, and and uh, so for a year and a half, I had to keep this deep, dark secret from everybody, including my children. I couldn't tell them what I was working on. And uh, and then it came out. And literally the day that the game came out, the character that had been mine that I'd created, along with the writers and director, Haytham Kenway, became this public thing. And there were over a hundred Haytham Kenways on Facebook and Twitter and people were talking about the character. And it suddenly became this animal that existed away from me that I had been released out there. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was very extraordinary. Yeah, I mean, I bet, you, I bet you even produced action figures now of, of, of the character. I, I, ha- I have an action figure. So I have an action figure, yes, I do. Kind of in the action figure club. Um, well, that came out, uh, oh gosh, um, shortly, not very long after the game, of course, you know, Ubisoft and the Assassin's Creed franchise, they, they just release everything when, you know, right after. Um, but, uh, yeah, of course, you know, it only, they used my, when they were designing the character, they used parts of my face for the design. And I suppose that helps them when they're trying to, they use your facial animation for the characters, facial animation, mm-hmm. but they can also alter it if they want. So I guess they, they, they carved, uh, they designed the character's face a little bit around aspects of my face, but it doesn't still, he still doesn't look like me entirely. But there are action figures and, uh, you know, people who write all kinds of uh, fan fiction about the character. And it's taken on a life of its own and, and it's been a good three years now. And, and, and it also um, ended up being, you know, I also get, ended up getting a nomination for it from, from BAFTA. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, I know. I was quite, uh, I was quite pleased at that. So at least. It's it's a huge series. Though. I mean, you know, I, 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 I'm on the uh, I'm on the latest one, which is set in the streets of London. The Syndicate. The Syndicate. It's, it's yes. Um, you know, and I, I don't I don't really play the game for its storyline. I just play it because I like sneaking up on people um, in 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 the video game verse and slitting throats and stuff like that. <laughs> it just kind of it allows me to exercise, you know, all, all the all the angstiness and uh, and stuff that's going on inside it. So it's somewhere I can put that onto the video game. Yeah, I've heard that. So I've heard that sort of thing before. I think I think it does have a, a you know. 
There's a lot of debate about video games and, it, and its effect on youth violence and, and you know, just desensitizing people. And I've heard both sides and, and I sometimes agree with both sides. But I also think that, it, you know, that it's uh, a lot of people tell me that, that they, uh, like young people, tell me that they're learning about history through these games. It's, it's spiked an interest in history, mm-hmm. and which is something that we, you know, in, in our today's society, we forget about a lot. But I also think that, that you know, yeah, it, it is a place where people, gaming seems to be a place where people can work out a lot of, you know, a, you know as you say, angstiness, anxiety, and, and rage, and, and uh, they can talk talk crap to each other and and then at the end the game's over and it's all done and nobody really got hurt mm-hmm. well i have i have the video gaming for that but i'm also a musician as well so yeah. ah. i do the video game but i also pour it into my music i've made that well that's the best that's the best way i think the best way of um you know if you have uh, an artistic or creative bent you know, it's a wonderful channel for to, to be able to you know to to express in 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 a creative way. You know, through music, through through art, through painting, through poetry, through you know that, that it's part of our our species need. I think to have these outlets or to and or to experience other people who are artistic that we you know we 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 put you know we put actors up there we put uh, musicians up there and there's a there's a function in our world for art and i think that a lot of times people go oh it's just kind of you know a luxury it's it's something well we have to you know we got to work hard first you know and uh all the rest of it is is just it's kind of frivolous or a luxury but i think there there is a cultural and uh, a deep-seated need in our in our species for art, you know, and, and uh, you know, I just I just feel fortunate that I get to in our civilization in our society I get to take part in that. You know, it's 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 great to be I part of that. Of, I kind of think that art in, in general is, is is actually very important for an individual's mental health. Yes, um, it's some somewhere to put or you know all the anxiety and stress because if you got yes. no, you've got nowhere to put it, you're just going to explode. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you just yeah. simultaneously can bust and be sushi in the middle of a room somewhere. You know? <laughs> yes, well, I mean, I, yeah, I, I live a very, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a father. I've raised, you know, I've, I've, I've raised three kids. Um, the youngest of them is t- is twelve, and uh, in order to do that, I've been very, you know, that you know, and sometimes it's very stressful to to live a life and to do things, and and you know, I get to play a lot of really creepy um messed up characters and i go away i you know i go to work and i go and i get it all out of my system you know and uh, and come back and i'm a good dad and i make sure there's food on the table and i cook and you know and i've changed my share of nappies and <laughs> so uh, there's definitely is a balance in all of that um another another project that i'd like to ask you about uh, is you you had a had a role in in the uh, in the killing uh, which is based on the danish series of the same name yes and i'm just wondering did you ever check out the original danish version of the series before you took on the part for the, for the US? um I think I think when I got cast, I looked at uh, one episode of it. I did look at one episode of it, yes, but I didn't. I didn't watch the whole thing. But thanks for adding to my list of binge watching. <laughs> I'm in the night. I'm watching the night of at the moment, which is a new one. Ooh. 
Yeah. Have you seen that one? Is that available to you yet? Um, no, I mean, I, I, I never actually watched The Kinging because it, oh, right. I've not got around to a scene yet. And I've, I've kind of bypassed the Danish version myself uh, right. because I'm, I'm dyslexic and I, I struggle with uh, subtitles. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, if, if I were to watch it, I'd probably watch the the the, uh, the English speaking version, the American version. Mm. But yeah, so like, um, could you tell us a little bit about your role in that? Because I'm, you know, for, for, right. for those like myself that are un, un, uninitiated that haven't haven't actually seen it, it might be interesting to. Yeah, well, he appears in one episode, but you know, he's sort of referred to uh, a long time. He's a a rather um, reclusive uh, man who inherited a house in the side of a lake, and he's he considers himself an artist, but you know, actually, to the outside world, what he is is he's a creepy guy taking photographs and obsessing about a fifteen-year-old girl, and um, it was a very I'm mean, very strange strange role to play sometimes when you play a role you have to kind of push through your own this your own outward disgust at a character and um he was uh yeah he, he was very you know that he you know he has a scene where he talks about his art and and that he's an artist and talks about it. it's very and I, the only way i could access it was to just play him as if he's a misunderstood artist. And, and I, I just poured my whole attention into that aspect of him. So the end result was he actually ends up being terrifically creepy to, to listen to. Um, and, and I got a lot of uh, feedback from my friends about that. You were so creepy. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah. That, and that was, uh, so that was fun to do. And then I get, uh, then I get, uh, beaten up and arrested by Joel Kinnaman. So I've been beaten up by Robocop. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Have, you, have you ever worked with Peter Wanger before? No, no. But but he's definitely um, uh, my favorite Robocop. Yeah, well, you know, he, he was the first. He kind of created that role. Yes, he did. He uh, did. It was amazing what he did in that role. The, vo- the, vo- the vocal thing he did and the... The stillness that he has as an actor, that he's, he's able to access, the, you know, depth and stillness. Yeah. It was, was a great admirer of his work. We used to nickname one of our tutors, Robocop, because, you know, <laughs> you, you could kind of like hear him coming down the corridor, like, stomp, stomp, stomp. You want to demonstrate to comply. Drop your weapons, you have 30 seconds to comply. <laughs> so, you know, we nicknamed this tutor, you know, Robocop. You know, it's one right. fun story there. Um, a big role for you at present is yes. that of Sebastian in, in the movie Reassignment, which is, is, I'm not sure if it's out or if it's due out. Um, what can you tell us about the film and how did you find the experience of working with Sigourney Weaver on that? Well, uh, Reassignment uh, was, we filmed it as, as Tomboy, was the working title. Tomboy, A Revenger's Tale. And uh, it's a film noir based on a story by Dennis Hamill. And uh, it has also become a, um, oh, a, I don't want to call it a comic book, a, what, what's the right word for it? Um, um, graphic novel. Graphic novel, been, yeah. Graphic novel, yes. Oh, trade forgive me for saying comic book. Um, I, I had a little glitch. Um, and it's basically about a hitman who um, hits the wrong person and uh, then is... Uh, and gets into trouble with uh, the wrong person's sister, who's Sigourney Weaver. 
and uh, is changed into a woman. And then what results is, and then the movie carries on from there. Like, I don't tell you anymore, but Walter Hill is a director, you know, of the Warriors mm-hmm. fame, of the Long Riders, of 48 Hours fame of, I mean, he's, he's, he's directed and written so many classic movies, you know, as well as, you know, the original Aliens movies. You know, he was the, you know, one of the creators of that. Um, so for me, the, for me on one level, the, the thrill was working with Walter Hill. Um, who's just this uh, big kind of relaxed teddy bear of a, of a guy, but with a sharp mind. And he, ma- he manages to make his set really relaxed. At the same time, everyone is working at the top of their game. And it, it, it's just, uh, you know, I, for me, that's a gift and a director. Um, my scenes actually weren't with Sigourney. I didn't meet Sigourney until the, the Toronto Film Festival. Yeah. My, my, this, the, the scenes I played were with uh, Michelle Rodriguez. Who is uh, who is playing um, the hitman, and uh, she's uh, she's an extraordinary she's a she's a really extraordinary actor Michelle Rodriguez. Um, she's as a as a person as a celebrity she she seems to have this kind of she has no filter on herself so she just says whatever she thinks which I, I kind of admire. Um, but when you're working with her, she doesn't give you the impression that she's working hard. She has this incredible ease about her work. And yet when you look at the final result, you see, you, you see all the layers and all this kind of depth that she's added and complicated things that she's added to the character. And when you're working with her, it's just like there's no, you don't see any seams. You don't see any of her, you know, quote, work. It's just, it's just quite a, an amazing talent. And Sigourney's just, I mean, I've, I've seen the movie, this it premiered at the film fest, Toronto Film Festival uh, a couple of weeks ago, and Sigourney's uh, wonderful in it, and, you know, just dark and still and scary. I'm not going to tell you any more than that. <laughs> and it's coming out, I think, uh, Walter said um, it's going to be released somewhere around February, but you can't quote me on that. I, I, don't, I have no idea. Okay. But it was definitely, a, you know, and, and Sebastian himself is a, as a character, he's right out there. He's kind of a coked up um, big baby of a guy who's, you know, surrounded himself with pinball machines and and a loft in New York and spent lots of money on drugs and women and things like that. So it was a wild character to play. Cool. Um, what, what, what was it that, you know, attracts you to a character? What, what, what do you look for in a character? Do you, you, you know, as, you, as you've said, you made quite a lot of creepy characters. Is that something that specifically interests you? Well, um, that's a difficult question. I mean, I, I, I'm, you know, I've also played, um, you know, uh, good guy characters. I, I just, what I, what appeals to me about a character is finding the complications in their heart. I've heard uh, Harvey Keitel once talked about acting as, you know, it's basically the inner geography of the human heart. Words to that, like he said something like that to me, and that really, really struck me. And I, I, I so if I'm playing a character who is, for instance, like Hatham Kano in Assassin's Creed 3, he, you know, he is a Templar, which is one of the spoilers in the game, but everyone's seen it now. Um, he's a Templar that you have to play as when you're playing Assassin's Creed 3. So he is the bad guy. And yet my objective with him was, and with any time I play, quote, a bad guy, is to find their heart, to find that thing. In certain, that nobody thinks of themselves as a bad guy. Nobody thinks of themselves as a good guy necessarily, that everyone has a complicated inner life. And that's the thing that I like to find as an actor. And sometimes I find it 
when I'm in the makeup chair and I see something that they're doing to the makeup, sometimes I find it in, 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 in an accent or a voice or a physicality. Because all those things are, are, are ways into, you know, ways into human behavior, ways into the, the human soul. And so that, that's, that's my particular um, fascination with it all. I, 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 I just like to uh, play people with complicated inner lives. And quite often those people end up being creepy or, um, or evil or doing bad things um, under the guise of doing something good. Or they'll do something which is bad, but they'll do it with a great sense of principle. Kind of doing something bad. You know, you know it's going to be bad, but you're doing it for the right reason. That's right. Yeah, that, that, and that too, yes. It's, um, you know, I, I kind of love watching sort of like characters and like that where, you know, it's not it's not given to you right away where you have to actually watch the various layers unfold. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah I love watching that. That's that sort of, sort of thing that I might see in a in in, in a, an ongoing TV show where where it's just sort of like one story. Yeah. Um, in Sons of Anarchy is a was a favourite show of mine where you know yes. you had all the mayors of the of Jacks and you know you had that sort. Of, it was also like a Shakespearean vent to it. It was kind of like watching Macbeth but about bikers. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, yes. <laughs> it was. It's Macbeth on wheels. Um, in, in terms of the uh, science fiction and fantasy roles, um, I've noticed you've done, you've done your fair share of roles in, in the past. Uh, but a recent one for you um, is you, you've got a two part, you've got a two episode guest spot in in, in the show uh, Aftermath, where where, yes. where you play a Reverend Brother. Um, which you know the, the actual show sounds kind of like end of the world. Um, now, obviously, without spoiling things for us, because I know this is coming out pretty soon, if it's not out already, uh, what can you tell us about the series, and what does the Rever- how, how does the Reverend Brother figure in the show? Well, uh, there is a, a couple who somehow survives the end of the world. The end of the world is happening, and their daughter and uh, gets separated from them. And... Um, the daughter goes off, and it's in the Pacific Northwest of of, uh, of the states, and uh, uh, comes across this young man played by Mitchell Cumin, who's part of this, um, and I don't want to say cult, but uh, a bunch of people who who are off grid, and they're 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 all they all sort of gathered around this uh, their leader, who's this uh, spiritual leader, who's the Reverend Brother, and who's who's me. And so the newcomer comes in, and we're all very suspicious of of her at first, and um, and then things unfold from there. But you know, as it's the end of the world, there are all kinds of you know there are things falling down from the sky. There's pestilences. There are demons and zombies and and bears. Oh my! You know, it's 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 very it's very. Um, Everything that you can imagine, at, you know, in the four the four horses of the apocalypse, everything is in this thing. It's like the end of the world biblically, and so everything is not as it seems with this very spiritual leader. I'm going to put leave you with that. Cool. And you, you're working with Mitchell Kuman. I've actually uh, interviewed Mitchell Kuman. Uh, yeah, I've just with him a couple of times, and actually both times as a reverend. Mm-hmm. One of them was in the Hallmark series "When Calls the Heart," and he was a. Uh, we didn't have any scenes together, but he would be there on set at the same time as me. 
He's a very talented young man. I look forward to seeing what he's going to turn into as an actor. Yes, yeah, so, so do I. I mean, from what I've seen of him, he, he's, he's always sort of like uh, put some really good work out there. So. Yeah. And he's a musician as well. So Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, he's, he's, he's multi-talented. <laughs> he's multi-talented. Ah, uh, well... I noticed that you've got a, you've also got a, a couple of episodes coming and coming up in a Once Upon a Time where you play the uh, woodcutter. Now, yes, I, I'd imagine that probably that's probably going to involve more than cutting down trees. <laughs> yeah, he's the uh, he's the step stepfather of, of of the Wicked Witch of the West. Uh-huh. So yeah, he's uh, you know he's a rather broken. A, when you see him the first time, he's a rather broken down um, man who's uh, who reveals that he's not the real father of of, of Wicked, and uh, that's that's the, basically the what you see of him and the, the first time you see him, and then he he reappears later when there's a flashback, but she runs off, runs away from him. That's, yeah. It's not a spoiler. The episode's already been. It's, it's an interesting series. There's all sorts of threads in that series. There is. And, uh, I, I don't know how. I don't know how to keep up with it when they're writing it. It is one of those shows that if you step away for a few episodes, you have to kind of. You really have to catch up because they write. Then there's two worlds they they deal with. You know, there's the quote real world as well as the sort of the once upon a time world. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the um, and so they. Uh, you know, and, and characters move across and through back and forth between the worlds and are different things in this world and that world. It's, it is, I mean, it's a lot of, of very clever writing. Indeed it is. I mean, um, actually, I've, I think I've actually spoken to, to a few members of that cast um, over the past few years. <laughs> but, oh. You know, and um, it was actually, uh, I think, Holly actually set me up with, uh, with, with the actor that plays Sleepy. Um, he, he's a really nice guy. Oh, who's that? Uh, oh, I, I I can't remember the actor's <laughs> name off the top of my head. <laughs> um, but you know, he he was a really nice guy, and he, he did make an impression. And I do follow him on Facebook and Twitter. It's just all these names. <laughs> yes, yeah, I know. Keeping up with them all. There, there, there are there are things. I mean, I've I've worked on over a hundred and ten projects over the last thirty years or so. So if you ask me about, you know, who is the actor you worked with on such and such three years ago that I might not remember, you know, that, that just after a while, it just becomes a blur. You know, you're, it's always about, especially in, in, in the world of being an actor, it's always about the next project, the next project, the next project. And, you know, and and even when I audition now, I, you know, I, people say, Oh, how did it go? And and I said, I, I, I don't know. I did it and I'm going to let it go. You always have to be moving forward as as an artist and as a performer because it's always the next one. Once you've done that audition, your work is finished. Your job was to go in there and present the character, present how you're going to do it, and then forget it and really forget it. Yeah, because there's, there's, there's nothing like. I mean, it happened to me about ten years ago. Uh, there was a there was a. I remember there was a weekend. Two days when I had five or six auditions, and I just threw them all down. And I was about five of them. I really, really, really wanted them, and I was paying attention to them. And and of course, none of them showed up. But the one that I'd forgotten about was the one that I got a call back. Like I'd literally completely forgotten that I even auditioned for it. Then I got a call back for that, and so I did the call back, and I forgot about it again. And then 
then it came down to, oh, um, we're going to hear today about that job. And I went, oh, great. So I sat there staring into my phone all day. And and then I phoned my agent again at the end of the day and said, well, what, no, it's going to be tomorrow. And so, well, so the next day I sat there staring into my phone all day waiting for this job to arrive because it was supposed to arrive. And then he said, no, it's going to be the end of the week. So I basically stressed until the end of the week. And at the end of the week, I sat there on Friday and it was around 4.30, 4.45 in the afternoon. I was holding onto my phone, waiting for it to ring. And I, and I just, I cursed and I threw my phone across the room onto the sofa because I didn't want it to break. And as it bounced on the sofa, after having thrown it away, given up, really given up on whether or not this job was coming, the phone rang and it was the job coming through. So the, 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 when you work, you know, when your life, when your livelihood is working as a creative artist and, and depends on other people, you know, being interested in your work, that you really notice how, how it works, you know, how, how there's this kind of strange energy around things that you truly let go of. So, you know, you, when, you, you know, so when, when I work, I forget about that I've done, I've done the job and people get annoyed at me. Why didn't you tell me you're on television tonight? Oh, I forgot. I didn't know. I wasn't paying attention because I was working on the next thing. And it's the same thing with auditions. The, the ones you truly let go of are the ones that come back. You, you know, it, it's funny, you know, I find, find that with doing interviews for, uh, for the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> you know, really? Yeah. It's, it's kind of like uh, an interesting experience. Uh, I've always wanted to interview Wingy. But, but a long time ago, I kind of let go of that, and um, you know, next thing you know, I I ended up interviewing his daughter. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, so 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 I kind of take that as a win, and then I got to interview Bruce Botsnyder from, from oh, Robin nice. Um, yeah, and I take that as another win. Or I, I kind of come to, you know, when, when, when I started doing this, um, I'd write to about 10 different people every week, see, seeing who, who would bite. And um, usually I got to a point where I maybe got one or two, two interviews a week by, by just doing that. But as, right. soon as, I, as soon as I've written that person, I kind of let go of it and thought, okay, well, you know, if, if, they, if they don't answer, they're not interested. Um, worst that can happen is they can say no. And the absolute best result is all say yes. Yes. So, so it's a similar sort of thing. You kind of like when when you start out doing 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 a podcasting deal and 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 website, you kind of uh, you write people and then you get go of it and you know you forget you've written to that person and you get a, you get some feedback off them saying yeah we we'd like to do this yeah. Same sort of thing. Yeah, and the internet now makes all kinds of interviews possible and and you know very doable without anyone having to go anywhere. We can. I can sit here in my kitchen with my coffee and have an interview with you in the north of England over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's possible too. It's it's a brilliant thing, you know. I've, I've been I've been doing doing this, you know, the website now since uh, two thousand one. Nice. And the podcast has been going since two thousand eight. Wow, so it's been going for a while. It it has, and um, you know, over that time, I've had a lot of great experiences doing it. You know, going to sci-fi conventions and and, and just nice. doing doing things from home like this. And, you know, and I've, I've even interviewed people that I would never have dreamed of pursuing. Um, you know, thanks, thanks to sort of maybe someone writing to me and saying, uh, "Would you like to interview such and such person?" Yeah. Sort of thing. So that's good. Yeah. That's good. It means you, it means you've developed a reputation there. I, I guess so, and I think it's it, it's also helped me grow as a person as well. Oh, 
Um, moving moving ahead and looking ahead, I've yeah. noticed you you have a you have a connection to a forthcoming movie. It's not in production yet, um, but it's kind of like um, it's heading towards uh, that time year again. It's called Christmas Fits. <laughs> yes. uh, which Christmas sounds... Fits, I think. Yeah, it's a Chad Chad Rook. He he directed me in a little indie comedy um, uh, last last year called The Perfect Pickup, which is about. Uh, for um, for lads who try and figure out what's the perfect guy to pick up girls, it's you know it's that kind of comedy, and uh, I played the creepy boss in that, and uh, you know we enjoyed working together, and he's he's one of these actors, directors, writers who's constantly doing everything you know every time you turn around he's somewhere else doing like he's signing autographs at a convention while he's directing and writing a movie and and while he's he's directing music videos while he's producing music video you know music while he's and so he's he basically asked me if i would be in this movie and so i haven't i haven't i so i agreed and I haven't, and because and, I enjoyed working with him, but I haven't, I haven't seen anything. It's not, we're not working on it yet. It's probably not going to happen until the spring sometime. So I can't tell you anything about it because I haven't actually seen it. It's all, in, it's all in process right now. It, it sounds like it could be a fun movie. Yeah. You know, something a little bit nighter. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Is there any other movie projects and TV projects um, that, that 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 you've done re- that you that you've done or you are doing that you'd like to sort of mention? Um, well, th- there's nothing that I can mention right now. There's I have a number of things in the works, but all of them are either under non-disclosure or they're kind of up in the air as to when they're happening or if they're happening. So there's nothing really I can talk about right now. But there's always you know there's one thing I found over 30 years that there's always something. You know, for me, it's just um, you know that this is this time has been about you know the reassignment coming out, the aftermath coming out. There's a I have a, a, sm- a smaller but you know guest role in, in this new series, Travelers, which is coming out too. Um, but I am I am in and but I have some things coming up which I can't talk about. What is that why? <laughs> nothing to talk about here. Nothing happening here. It's just you know. Um, more work. There, there, there you go, trying to channel that northern accent again. <laughs> That's not my northern accent. I feel I feel rather naff trying to do a northern accent with you because obviously you're from there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but my, mine's actually quite a soft accent. Uh, it is, yeah. You know, if you if you go to you know further north of Manchester, it, it gets a lot thicker and brogier. Yes, uh, that's right. Well, I mean, I've I've, I've acted uh, I've acted in a Scots app, Scots accent opposite Peter Capaldi, and I've acted in a Cockney accent opposite uh, uh, what's his name Nick Berry. He used to be in EastEnders and ended up doing did an episode of um, Heartbeat years oh, right. ago. I had to play a Cockney soldier, and um, of course, I, I lived in you know in the East End for years. So I I I, I remember uh, checking with my. Uh, my in-laws at the time in East London, they go, oh, no, you did well. It's good. It's good. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> so if, you can, if you can convince them, then you're all right. Yeah, so I, I, I rather uh, – I enjoy um, doing different things vocally for, for parts. Not, I'm not much of a um, – you know, I, I don't have a lot of uh, party tricks dialect-wise. But uh, you know, I can, I can, I can, I can go in and play a role in, in dial. When I played Haytham Kenway, who's you know an upper class um, British colonial who goes across to and has a has a relationship with um, uh, a First Nations woman who then produces Connor. 
you know. So I like to do things vocally with different things vocally with the characters. I find it's a way in, and it's also a way for you know if you're playing a particularly creepy character that I can just I can slide into it. I can I can trick my judgment about a character by sliding into it vocally. You know, like you know if he's uh, you know if he's someone who maybe talks like this is slightly breathy. I can just enjoy the breathiness of the character. Or, you know, or, you know if he's someone who's a bit tougher, or maybe he's a bit slightly scots, then you, know, you can just, I, I find my way in that way. Yeah, I, I um, when I studied drama years and years ago, I could never do, I could never do accents as in, as in different accents, but I could always do voices, a few different voices. Right. Yes. Um, and, you know, I, I used to love doing that. You know, one, one thing that I'd love to do maybe at some point is to do, do a voice for an animated character. Mm. That, that just looks like so much fun um you know be, being locked in a booth and you know just being able to like uh, stretch around with your voice and, and do the role yes well the very first the very first uh, voice animated voice job i ever did was uh the nightcrawler in the x-men wow. the original x-men series back in the early 90s i used to love watching that <laughs> yeah i was the nightcrawler that there's two two episodes that my character appeared and one of them was called the nightcrawler and uh, it was literally my very first animated voice audition. And uh, it, sometimes you look at a character in a script and you go, I know what this is, I know what this should be, and just go in there and, and they happen to agree with you. <laughs> sometimes you do that and they don't agree with you. But uh, And that was one of the cases when it all just kind of gelled. And I, I remember I did one take of the scene and the director just sort of said, he's a very complicated guy, isn't he? And I said, yes. And then I got the part and... Now there, so the the original night, you know, the original X Men series back in the early nineties. Uh, you know, that was that was my introduction to animated, and it was really interesting. The first time I was in a studio, I was in, you know, in with um, the actors who were playing some of the other characters, like you know, like Lenore Zan who played Rogue and uh, Cal Dodd who played um, um, Wolverine, and he literally, I, I saw him kind of physically turn into Wolverine in the room and he put his voice on and he, he just did this he used his entire body so to, to think that you know when you hear voice actors you know on on animated series you know you should know that a lot of those actors are fully acting the role in that room and that the sound result that you hear is is actually because they've thrown themselves entirely physically emotionally as well as vocally into it and and yet at the same time, there's a sense of freedom because you're hidden from view. You can basically do whatever you need to do to create a sound, to create a, a, an emotional moment. But that's why I think it'd be so much fun to do. <laughs> yeah. You know, it really is. Throw yeah. myself around the room, and I, you know, I remember seeing the, uh, the making of the of the Aladdin, the Disney show, and they they shown Robin Williams, who was a yes. hero of mine, and he was gesticulating all over the place, you know, doing mm-hmm. voice to this genie. Well, he created that gene. That uh, the animation of that genie character happened after they just stuck him in a booth and said go. And yeah, what he did was amazing. And and that that animated that animated genie would would not have been anything as brilliant had it not been for for what he did in that booth. I agree. Okay. It is incredible. It, it, it's incredible to see, and that I just love to do that. You know, just just once, you know, just just one line of dying at least. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't care what it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
anyway, Adrian, thanks for talking to me. It's been great having you on the show. Oh, thank you. And the very best of luck with uh, with with all, all, all these uh, upcoming projects that you can't talk talk to us about. And the best of luck with um, with aftermath too. Thank you. Know, I look forward to seeing it. Hopefully, you get you get to come back on that. Yeah, well, it'd be nice. All right, cheers, Ian. And, you know, we hope you enjoyed that uh, interview with uh, Adrian Huff. Um, I certainly enjoyed uh, do, doing doing it. And um, it's really cool that he's actually worked with Peter Capaldi back when, he, back when he was a young actor working in England. I thought that was really cool. Um, joining me now is uh, Raisa for our uh, TV talk segment. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, thanks. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, so like... Um, so we've got a lot of new TV on. It's all like it's the beginning of the TV, the the, the, the new TV schedule for uh, 2016-17. Yes, uh, yes, lots of stuff. We got a lot happening. Uh, I think the first thing I'd like to uh, touch upon is MacGyver. Mm. Yeah, we've both seen the pilot. You've seen the pilot. I've seen the pilot in the second episode and. You know, my thoughts is it's all right, but it may as well be NCIS or it, it, it's it's too it's too generic. It's yeah. literally too generic. They're, they're just they're treading water, and um, it, it's all right. The characters are likable and, and whatnot, but it just may as well be CSI or NCIS or or something like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, because of the uh, whole team thing. Yeah, and MacGyver was never a team show. It, it wasn't, and it's also the they, they basically reimagined Jack Dalton to be a, a former Navy SEAL Marine or something, and former CIA agent. No, and and I prefer the original version of the character. <laughs> I, I do. I mean, you know, it's it's kind of it's kind of it's sad because George Eads is is trying to trying to make it his own, and it's like he's he's, he's trying to be all goofy and and whatnot, like the original Jack Dalton was. Yes, it's just not working. It's Feels forced. Whereas no, they're trying to do two different shows, basically. Whereas the original, yeah. the original Jack Dalton, he was sort of like a, a jack of all trades, master of none. Uh-huh. He was sort of like um, every episode he was in, which wasn't every episode of MacGyver. Um, it, it, it was a treat to behold when he was in an episode. She never knew what was going to happen next. No, and, no, you know, and he was always on some sort of get rich quick scheme. Yes, and it's kind of like it's kind of like a hapless loser, really. That that MacGyver sort of like uh, helped out of tricky situations every now and again. I mean, the the thing that epitomized it was that uh, MacGyver comes in contact with Thornton and Murdoch because he's helping he's helping Jack out because Jack is laid up with a broken leg and he needs Mac to drive the cab for him and that's how he meets Thornton and, and Murdoch in the, in the in the flashbacks yeah but we don't actually learn about that so about the second or third season of the yeah. I know. But, you know, but it's awesome. There's also, you know, the you know, we've had no episodes with Penny Parker yet. I don't think they're gonna do Penny Parker, but that was sort of like Terry Hatcher before Lois and Clark. Yes, and Penny Parker was an homage to the damsels in distress of the old serials. They were basically modernizing the damsels in distress of the old serials. And I thought I thought she was lovely. I liked her a lot. Yeah, I, I thought she was. I thought she was funny and um, extremely hatless and you know somewhat of an idiot, but kind of lovable. Yes, yes, which is what exactly what she was meant to be. So success. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and 
and then and then don't even get me started on the whole and this in the, in the modern iteration nikki who was a character in the original uh is basically they're trying to turn her into murdoch from what i can tell yeah nikki from the original she was only in the third season right she was sort of yeah she was she was only in the third season and the guy hated her and she hated yeah. him it was, it was kind of like a love hate thing yeah yeah they both just couldn't work together yes yeah yeah um yeah they're, they're trying to turn her into murdoch in this season and i'm sorry to say but the actress that's playing her she's 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 okay i've seen her in other things uh-huh She's okay. She, she's a fairly confident actress, but she just doesn't have the charisma to pull it off. It's, no, that she, is what they're trying the, re- the, the reason the reason Murdoch worked because Murdoch was and here's the thing: MacGyver was whether they acknowledge it or not. Like I said, an update of the the old serials for television, and Murdoch was a modern update on the mustache twirling villain, and. The reason that worked, the reason that they were able to pull that off is because Michael DeBar was Michael DeBar. Mm -hmm. And they've got to have, they've got to get an actor or an actress with as much charisma as he had, or they're not going to make it with with an ongoing character like that. Yeah, I mean, I I just think they should just um, sort of like, what they need to do is they need to go back, rethink it, retool the series, and and make it so, you know, there's no such team thing as Team MacGyver. No, and what's very, what makes me unhappy about MacGyver is if you look at the credits, it's the same writing team that was involved with the original. Mm-hmm. And they basically they basically sold out and made a cookie-cutter version of their own show, which is even worse. Um than, than, than having some, you know, innocuous third party do it. Um, it's, it's, it's really, it really upsets me. I don't think they've got as much control over it, to be honest, so as, as they actually have, you know. So, mm. uh, I mean, I know, I've noticed that uh, Henry Winkner is an exec producer on it, but I, I've got a feeling that that's more a consultancy, consultancy yeah. than it is, you know, because Henry Winkner is a busy guy, he's still acting. <laughs> yes, he's still acting and he's producing a lot of other things, yeah, so, yeah. Um, and um, David Nee not off, he's credited, but the fact of the matter is, um, the original guy series, although he was credited yes. on, on each episode, he only ever wrote the pilot. Oh, okay. Um, you know, it's, it's you know, he, he didn't write any episodes of it after the pilot. Uh, uh, okay. And that, that's something I learned fairly recently when I was reading the, the MacGyver comic a couple of years ago that they did with Dark Horse Comics, because um, uh, David Nizot not off wrote that. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. With uh, with he, he kind of co-wrote it. It was a collaboration between him and Tony. Uh, um, and it, no, and he had this um, over the five issues. There was the back page was was um, him talking about how he came up with MacGyver, cool. uh, the origin story of it, and how how it all came to pass and how it happened and, and stuff like that. So, so it was a really interesting read you know, over over the five issues sort of thing. But I'm not sure how I feel about Pete Thornton. Um, as is it Patricia Thornton? Yes, Patricia Thornton. Now um, she's cooking. It's it's unfortunate. I. I appreciate the need to switch genders to modernize it that way, but the fact that she's a woman is the only interesting thing she's got going for her. She was cookie cutter too, mm-hmm. and um, and don't even get me started on the hacker. I can't, I can't even go there. Which hacker though? Because you had Nikki at first, and now it's Ryan. Oh yeah, Riley, Riley, yeah. 
Yeah, which she, she's kind of like a generic character, but she, you know, I like the character uh, sort of thing. But that's because you're supposed to like the character. Yes. You know, you're yes. supposed to sympathise with that character. So I, I realise that, although I like the character, I realise that I'm actually being manipulated into liking that character, if you know what I mean. Yes. Yeah. It. And it's also that the whole the whole computer bloody hacker thing, computer analyst thing, it seems to be a cliche that's used in every single TV series now. It's because it's because it's because it's 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 a narrative cop out that they can use to cover up a multitude of sins. Mm. So like, yeah. If I was writing this TV series, MacGyver would be the hacker. Yeah. You know, you, you wouldn't need that, that's what that's that's one of the biggest mistakes they've made with this new series. As in, yeah. got a computer hacker. They don't need. Yeah. They got MacGyver. No, you know? MacGyver can figure it out. MacGyver. MacGyver was basically they while they didn't. Well, they didn't play it up. Um, MacGyver was basically a savant who just never admitted the fact that he was a savant. And one of his one of his endearing character traits was that he honestly thought the people around him were smart enough to figure out what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And occasionally, one of them would be, but he but he never quite understood that he was actually a genius, and that and that his perceptions and and solutions to things were not the norm. And I, I really appreciated that about his character. Yeah, I can actually relate to him in that way. In that way, you know the character. I mean, you know the, the way he figured out, you know, how to get out of things. Or, or, yeah, and that's something that I really admired about, about about the whole series. Yes. Um, yeah. Also, the the new series, um, the first series, they did quite a bit of the narration in third. Yes. Person. And that was something they did right. In in the second episode, they kind of. Uh, they, they didn't do that quite as much than in the first. Um, but what I don't like is the, um, is the way they're sort of like, um, when, whenever he's constructing something, they put the thing up on the screen. Like, like, like it's uh, something like Sherlock. You know when Sherlock, when, when he's having checks yes. conversations? Yeah. But when MacGyver's creating something in this new show, uh, the ingredients to it pop up on the screen as he's doing yeah. it. And, you know, I, I don't like that. That doesn't work for me. No, I would rather have it in the narration. Mm-hmm. They always just put that stuff in the narration. Yeah, and, and that's what made it fun. Yeah. Um, but... And the thing is, even even though the science wasn't complete because they didn't want the kids accidentally hurting themselves, they'd always leave something out. Um, the science that they gave us, um, you, MacGyver would explain it in the narration. So it was semi-educational. Mm-hmm. And, and that was one of the things that was important about it. I mean, I don't think I don't think Lucas Till is a bad choice for the character. I think he's doing as well as he can with, with yes. being given ring. Yes. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not keen on the George Eads take on Jack Dalton, but that's not George Eads' fault. It's the fact that they've written in this character as Jack Dalton as a series regular when, you know, truth truth be told, they, they need to rethink it and have MacGyver on his own. Um, yes. You know, I'm not sure if you read my recent review, but my recent review will point out the episode from season one called Nightmares. Yes. Yes. Where, yes. Where where he's where MacGyver's kidnapped and they want some secrets, sort of poison him, and the poison you know only gives him six hours left to live. So he's, wow. he's either got to give them the give them the answers in six hours, or or go about cunningly and cleverly trying to find the antidote to this poison in six hours. Um, you know. And yeah, that, yeah, I, I remembered. And that's sort of like that's sort of episode that they need to establish this new version of MacGyver if they want to if they want to do. I'm a guy in the series. Yeah, yeah. But I've got a feeling the network's got too much control over this one. Uh-huh. You know, because 
it, it doesn't feel like MacGyver. No, the, the, the heart's gone. The heart's gone. They're literally just going through the motions. I mean, it's all right, but it's, you know, Scorpion's much better. Uh, and Scorpion's not really, really that great of a show either. Uh, <laughs> Although I like watching Scorpion, because, it, you know, I, I kind of like the characters. Yeah, yeah. Because they're all savants. Yes. <laughs> all four yeah. of them. And, <laughs> and their, their relationship between each other is so dysfunctional, it's looking hilarious. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, that, that's the new MacGyver. And um, do you want to talk about anything else? Because I've got so many few shows I've returned. Yeah, I'd like to discuss, since we've talked about, um, I'd kind of like to talk about briefly Hooten and the Lady and then maybe Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm. Um, Hooten and the Lady, it kind, it's kind of all right, but it's not. Yeah, yeah, kind of like MacGyver. I've decided that, like MacGyver, I'm, I'm not going to dump it uh, from the schedule. Um, they, the, the travel log elements, the location work is exquisite, but the scripts are just mediocre at best. Yeah. The, the acting's okay-ish. I mean, the, it is def, it's definitely a fun chemistry there between the two leads, but the, the scripts are not really servicing it. No. You know, it's, it's one of those, um, and, and it's, it's, it's a shame as well, because I actually like uh, Tony Jordan's work on uh, on Dickensian and, and I liked what he did with uh, Hustle um, although I detested what he did in EastEnders because I fucking hate EastEnders but you know well that's not that's not me disliking Tony Jordan it's just that I, I, I've uh, long had a hatred of EastEnders from back in 1986 and I just nurse it every day you know I, I have a shotgun put by in my drawer and every time every time I uh, hear that music uh, come up, I have to sort of resist the urge to open that drawer. Oh. <laughs> I'd probably be the same. You know, it's, you know, I, I feel exactly the same about Coronation Street, which is terrible. It's so anti-British of me, that. Because <laughs> all our Brits are supposed to love EastEnders and Coronation Street, apparently, but not true. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but yeah, human lady, I... I'm really disappointed in it. I, I was expecting something way, way better. Mm, yeah. I mean, it's awesome to look at, but you can only look at it for so long. Yeah. And uh, the villains are kind of one-dimensional. The, uh, they, they, they're not really... They're going after these archaeological things every week, and they're not really giving you too much in the way of mythology about them. What's ironic, though, is that those Hooten and the Lady is, is the kind of show that would have taken off in our formative years. It's... Um, it's a throwback without the depth. It is. It, it, it's sort of like it's it's sort of show that would have uh, would have been a hit in the eighties uh, or nineties. Yeah, and it's, it's 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 literally twenty years too late. <laughs> That's mm. the big problem. Because if you look at it logically, it would have been awesome back then. Yeah. And I think that that's what they were trying to go for. They were they were trying to go for the the um, the retro vibe that they that they hit so well with leverage because leverage was retro. Yeah, well, uh, leverage was awesome, and leverage was awesome. But that's because that's because uh, Rogers and Company know how to write neo retro. They were the, Rogers and Company just know how to write period. That's the, that's yeah. also true. That's that's, yeah. a, that's the thing. I mean, um, you know, there's a film that Rogers did. Um, I can't remember what it's called. I think Aaron Eckhart was in it about solar about about, about solar um, solar eclipse or something where they were tunneling underground to try and prevent this. Mm, okay. What was it called? I can't remember what it's called. But Aaron Eckhart was starring in it, so like, um, and that didn't do too well with the critics. Or the film goes when it came out. But it's absolutely a superb film. The reason it didn't do too well is because it's old school. 
uh-huh. this old school storytelling. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, I spoke to I spoke to um, John Rogers on a number of occasions, and you know, he he's not ashamed of the fact that um, he finds much of his inspiration in a lot of the a lot of the classic sonic tropes, such as you know the the original Avengers series, Doctor Who, and and, and stuff like that. That that's sort of stuff that invite that 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 kind of inspires him. I actually I actually prefer old school storytelling. Um, I tolerate the new school stuff because there's so much of it, and if I ignored it altogether, I'd basically be missing like a good three quarters of what's on TV. But I actually prefer old school storytelling. The problem is that not everybody who aims for old school actually understands it well enough to do it. And that's the problem that both MacGyver and Hooten and the lady share is they, on the surface, they both, both writing teams thought that they were giving us, you know, old school when what they were actually giving us was generic. There's a difference between the two and they didn't understand. Yeah, the thing is what I don't understand about Hooten and the lady is uh, Tony Jordan does know old school stuff because he, he was writing back then in, in the late 80s, early 90s. And he, and, uh-huh. and he created Hustle, for God's sake. Uh-huh. It was kind of old school. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, you could argue the toss that Nebridge might, might have took its knee from Hustle, but, you know, um, the, both shows you can watch side by side and really enjoy them. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's it's, it's just um, I just think the the, the whole thing with human and lady, I don't, I don't I don't know what it is um, precisely. That's up with it. But this song, like this, just this, it's just a number of things. Yeah, no, they they tried and didn't get to where they thought they were going. Yeah, that's but that's like that's that's also true of MacGyver. I've got to wonder if it might have worked better if they'd actually set it in the 30s or something. I was thinking that too. Like When I was watching the first one, the pilot, I'm like, why the hell is this a modern show? Why, why, why isn't it in the 30s? If, they, if they'd done that, it would have been absolutely brilliant. Would it be more expensive to do that as are the costumes? And, and... Well, they're already spending money on the locations. So what the hell? And it's ITV, the commercial, the commercial arm, so it's like they have the money as it is. It's, it's actually Sky. Oh, that's still a case in point. They've got the money. They're, they're cable. They've got the money. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, they have. I mean, I'm, I'm just so, I'm just so like shocked at how at, at how disappointed I am with that series. Of. Yeah. Yeah. Because we know it can be done. They've leveraged it. Um, Hustle did it. Librarians did it. A neo-old school is a thing that can be accomplished. Timeless apparently accomplishes it, according to reviews. I've seen of that, and that one starts tonight. Warehouse 13 did it. Yes, Warehouse 13 also, and which, I, which I adored. Eureka kind of did it as well, although, yeah. although Eureka wasn't really setting out to do it. Yeah, yeah. Eureka kind of reminded me of a more science fiction version of Picket Fences. Yeah, yeah. You know, which is, I think, what they were going for anyway. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's just a, just a bit of a disappointment. I mean, I've been watching Shield. I'm, caught, I'm kind of caught up on Agents of Shield. Do you want to sort of chat about that for a little while? Yeah, yeah. I'm um, I'm hoping that that uh, Daisy's existential crisis plays out fairly quickly because that's already old. But the rest of the series, the rest of the season, looks to be shaping up to be my favorite season yet. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of um, I'm 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 not really there with the whole Daisy thing. I'm kind of hoping she just teams up with Ghost Rider, and yeah. over, over a period of a couple of episodes, they end up having to um, go back in under the auspices of Shield, because Shield's got resources. But, yeah, you know what what I'm what I'm curious is about is this new director of Shield. Yes, who's yeah. um. Who's apparently a, a comics character I'm not familiar with. Um, he he goes back. He's a, he's a deep bencher. He's um, patriot. Yeah. Mace. Um, uh, Jeffrey Mace. Patriot is who this guy is. Apparently. He's an asshole. <laughs> yeah. I don't know whether he was written was that way initially, but they've gone with asshole for this iteration. Which okay. Well, I I, um, I thought you know it's the same guy that did the the American version of Knife on that Mars. Can't remember the actor's name off the top of my head. Jason Amara. He's Jason also Amara. he also does uh, for DC. He's also voiced Batman in a few of the DC animated things. I know that, and he, he was also um, in that dinosaur thing that they did a couple of years ago, the uh, uh, Terra Nova. Oh yes, uh, yes, yes. Okay. And um, it, it's kind of funny because voicing Batman, you don't know you don't notice it as much because he's just given a voice performance yeah. sort of thing but it's kind of funny because when he when he played the heroic roles in Terra Nova and uh-huh. and uh, Knife on Mars I, I just thought his acting sucked in those uh-huh. I, I, I just he just came off with absolutely no charisma whatsoever whereas now he's playing a villain in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that guy is acting his ass off yeah that's that, you, you, we may end up hating him every way to Sunday but it's going to be fun while we do yeah, you can tell. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's just weird because I never liked him in those other things, but in this, he, he's sort of like he, he sold me the he sold me the bigger rights right there. Yeah, because yeah. he's acting his ass off. He, he's created, you know, a, a brilliant asshole of a character. <laughs> and I love the and I love the fact that the fact that he's an inhuman is actually incidental, and they hate him for other stuff. Yeah. Um, and 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 he's, set, he's gone and sent poor old May to a, a mental assignment. Yes, what's going on there? <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, um, some when he finds out, he's gonna be furious. <laughs> no, no, I have to say, as a, as as someone who's more of a more of a science fantasy and fantasy fan than a fan of the of the hard bitten street oriented stuff. Um, I'm really liking that they're kind of melding science fiction and fantasy with the ghost story or whatever, whatever that is shaping up to be. Um, I, I think like, it's going to be interesting. I'm liking that. It's, it's actually allowed Shield to get off to a quite quick start this year. Whereas in, if you notice all previous seasons, it's all it's always taken sort of maybe three, four episodes for things to become clear. Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas this, it's all like it's it seems to be seems to be opening up a, a little bit quicker. I'm yeah. just hoping that they're not giving us too much too soon before the horse is bolted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, maybe that's what Daisy's existential crisis is about. It's maybe an hour them to sort of like drag that out for maybe four or five episodes before you know. yeah i'm just i'm not a fan of existential crises in general it's like i get it i get it when you suffer trauma and you're going to go through those kinds of existential crises when you suffer trauma but that doesn't mean i necessarily like watching that it's, it's why i skipped jessica jones i don't really i don't i don't that's not entertainment as far as i'm concerned Yes, and if, if, I, if I want people suffering from with that level of tragedy, I'll watch something by Sophocles and actually just go for old school tragedy. 
Um, I, I don't need postmodern iterations. They bore me. Jessica Jones was awesome. You missed out on a great show. Then. Yeah, I, I, I just I wasn't in the mood. David Tennant was absolutely fantastic. As, uh, as a I'm, sh- I'm, I'm sure he was. I just wasn't in the mood. Um, but yeah, I got a feeling they'll, they'll probably drag that out for maybe a couple more episodes and then it'll be done. Yeah. Uh, so I, th- I think they're just doing that so to give her a reason to meet Ghost Rider. I was, I, was, I was thinking about that you know, structurally. They've got to justify this. So yeah, it's 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 really it's really really interesting. You know, who are these ghostly these ghostly scientists? Yeah, something something really bad happened back there, even by Marvel standards. Mm, something really 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 bad. It's, it's gonna it's gonna be fun watch. And I also I love the fact that we're getting life model decoys. I'm wondering if the ghosts are going to end up inhabiting life model decoys as a solution to this. Mm, that's that's kind kind of interesting. Uh, what I'm wondering is, uh, you know, John Hannah's character in season first episode. Radcliffe, bless. I love Radcliffe. He's so unapologetically Radcliffe. Yeah. What, what's going to happen with him? Because so, like he's kind of on like, he's kind of like on probation, as it were, in a, in a sense. And he's and he should literally not be doing exactly what he's doing. And and, 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 Fitz, and Fitz is sticking his neck out. I know. You know <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just wondering how that. You know, may, maybe that's part of the way the way they'll resolve this season. You know, with these uh, with these sort of like robots that acting if his building, maybe they'll become the new host for the ghosts. <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be a lot. The literal ghosts in the machines. That would be, I think, the ultimate tie together. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, well, I think we can stop watching Agents of Shield now. I think we've actually solved it. I think we have. <laughs> Oh god. <laughs> um so anything else? Um we, we got timeless coming um coming out this week, um which we've heard I've heard quite a bit about um on the grapevine. It looks good, although the, the creators of the series are actually being sued by what, what was it now? They're being sued. They're being sued. I, I sent you that story um just, just for general edification. I can't remember now, but they are being sued by um a South American writing team who claims that they were in um negotiations with NBC and then NBC just flat out appropriated the idea. Oh, and and uh, so I, I don't know to what extent that's going to play into it. I I hope Timeless survives, but given the fact, given the fact that they're in litigation coupled with the fact that they're on NBC, I will be prepared for it to go either way. Mm-hmm. And Westworld started this week, so we've got that to look forward to. Yeah, over the whole coming weeks, and um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting new shows coming up. Um, mm-hmm. One I'm one I'm kind of uh, both dreading and looking forward to in at the same time is Time After Time. Yeah, I've heard some I've heard some really bad things about that. I've heard that they are basically going to soak it. Yeah. Uh, that's the only way they can actually actually keep it going for, for as long, long as they need to for a series. Uh, um, unfortunately, um, you know, yeah. it's basically it's basically going to be H.G. Uh, Wells and the girlfriend that he picks up in the seventies traveling through time in order to you know track down Jack the Ripper. And the problem is that the actor playing Jack the Ripper is probably not going to have as much charisma as uh, David Warner. <laughs> No, so. no one, no one has as much charisma as David Warner. No, no. <laughs> Let's face it. <laughs> Even I struggle there. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, it's, you know, or, or for that matter, the actor that they have main HG is not going to have as much charisma as uh, Malcolm McDowell. No, no. no? And um, whoever the actress is that plays the female character is not going to have um, the sort of like innocent sort of like um, the, the innocent sort of like enticing sort of character that, that Mary Streamberg gave us. Yeah. Um, but the, the whole thing about that film is Malcolm McDowell and Mary Streamberg when they were making it were quite nicked truly falling in love with each other. Yeah, and, and they went on to marry. So, yeah. yeah. And, and they also went on to divorce. Of course, yeah. Well, Hollywood, Hollywood marriages, you got along. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that, you know, that's one I'm kind of both um, looking forward to but dreading at the same time because I, I so love that film. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm just not, I'm just not into soap so I'm going to, I'm going to basically go in very cautiously because if they soap it up too much I won't stick with it. Mm. I won't care. I, I can't see how they can soak it up too much if they're going to, if they're going, going to be time traveling now. Well, apparently, there's going to be a triangle between um, Mary Steenburgen's analog and her ex-husband and H.G. Wells. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that sounds like it. You know, if they want to make Dinosaur Dynasty, you know, just make Dinosaur Dynasty. Don't don't start fucking around with other franchises. That show that yeah, like I said, I'm not happy. Um, anyway, um, so like, um, anything else? We've I mean, got Superman and Supergirl coming up. Yeah, but that's, um, that's not this week. That's next week. And I'm going to have to catch up after I get back from a holiday. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same because I'm moving house soon. So, and this is probably going to be the last podcast for uh, a little while, probably until sort of like late October, in, year, in November. Yeah, uh, yeah. Hopefully, we can get a Halloween special before yeah. before then. But that's, that's going to be kind of a push because Sean and his wife, you know, it's, it's kind of like uh, to do with their schedule as well as mine. Yeah, my my schedule's booked too on that day too, so I won't be able to participate. But, yeah. but traditionally. Oh, sorry. Traditionally, yeah. the Halloween special is Sean, myself, and his wife slowly but surely getting drunk while discussing, uh-huh. discussing stuff, uh, which is one of the reasons that those those shows uh, are so unintentionally funny. <laughs> because we're kind of like, we kind of slowly are getting drunk on, on whatever it is we're drinking <laughs> because it's Halloween, damn. Yes. You know, yes. don't need a better excuse than that. Um, although I think Sean and his wife have probably cons- consumed more alcohol over over the course of the hour and a half than I did. Ah. <laughs> One of us has got 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 to stay sober. I'm I'm kind of there enabling. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we, we we hopefully we'll get that done. But there's there's a lot of great stuff coming out, and um, you know, and so like. Um, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of psyched. I'm doing a lot more reviews on the website now, so that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm actually even watching some of the some of the new generic cop shows. I mean, I've seen the new Lethal Weapon series. Oh, God. Another one I didn't have the energy for. It's not bad, but it's no it's nowhere near as as gritty or as fun as the films. Uh. You know, because you know these guys are doing all right with the roles, but there's there's no way they can actually do Danny Glover and Mel Gibson. No, no. And they they can't really make Giggs as you know Riggs as edgy as he is in the films. Well, that's because he's he's got PTSD, so that's why. But they, but they can't do it as edgy as in the films because sort of like in, in the films he sort of like um, he, he literally puts a gun in his mouth. Yeah. And almost pulls the trigger. Yeah. Thing. They, they, they can't do that on the on network television. No, they can't. 
know. Um, they can only really do that on so like um, if it was on HBO, they'd be able to do that and um, and literally have have the back of his head and go up. Yes. Um, but unfortunately, they can't do that on network television, which is why they can't really do a proper job of of making a lethal weapon series. To be honest, no. But it's all right. I'm I'm sort of like quite enjoying it as a as a as a buddy cop show. Ah. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, with it being a buddy cop show, it's a little bit less generic than than MacGyver. Ah. Sort of thing. You know, they they kind of go in their own way with it, which is which is okay because I think it's probably going to be cancelled after a year. So it's one of those. Um. So anything else before we stop recording? No, I think that I think we about covered it for until we until we're all, until we're both back and up and running again. Ooh. Here at SFP now, I think we're pretty sure we um, got our priorities straight. I'd like to thank everyone for uh, listening to uh, to the show. Um, as 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 I've already mentioned, Raïs is off on a cruise um, this month, um, and I'm actually moving house, so I'm going to have no internet for a while. Um, but Matt will probably get get a couple of episodes of John Retainment up um, in in my absence. I hope. Um, so we hope you enjoyed this show, and um, you know we will be back again soon with more great interviews. So so thanks for listening.